1: For 50% off, visit rosettastone.com slash Talk. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash Talk today.
2: I'm Gary O'Reilly and I'm Chuck Nice and this is Playing With With Science. Science I hope you are ready to take a trip into the clandestine and murky world of doping. This is the show we promised you so snuggle up, get comfy, whatever works best for you. Some call it performance enhancement, others simply call it cheating and some call it a waste of doing drugs because
1: well (laughs) there's only one reason to really do them uh so if you're an elite athlete and you took that decongestant by mistake or maybe you made a grab for that unaccredited food supplement chances are that in the eyes of the wada you broke the rules and you're just a drug cheat so what does it do and how does it do it and how do you
2: get away with it most importantly And if you're a bad guy, you'll want to hear about that. Right, in Neil deGrasse Tyson's interview with Lance Armstrong, the two got to grips with doping in cycling as well as other sports and just how much of a boost your performance can get when you dope and then go on to debate whether the future will be clean. And I assure you, you are going to want to hear what Lance Armstrong says about that one.
1: Yeah, and bringing us their extensive expertise are the publisher of Skeptic Magazine and the author of The Moral Arc, Michael Shermer, clinical psychologist just at Mount Sinai Hospital in New York City Dr. Tom Hildebrand and medical ethicist and author of The Ethics
2: of Sports Dr. Arthur Kaplan yeah that space is covered there yeah. busy show so start the clock see if we break any records and if we do It'll be sample time, Mm. but don't worry, Chuck. We'll flip a coin for it. Oh, no, don't worry. I'm having somebody else pee in a cup for me. Okay, that's (laughs) that covered. Right. um, So we know people dope. We know athletes are dope. We go back to ancient Greece and know that they chewed on animals' testicles to get testosterone. And if you did that now, you're banned. Sexy. Isn't it just? Mm. So now now, now we're just getting to this point where people have been outraged, but it's been going on for so long. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. now... We're coming to terms with the fact that maybe one in 30 get caught. Right. Now, that's a real discrepancy between the World Anti-Doping Agency, the athletes, their entourages, the teams, state-sponsored doping, Mm -hmm. whatever the stages are there. But they're always playing catch-up. It yeah. always seems to be a real problem. So we're going to try and find out how we shorten the gap, if we can. Shorten if we the gap. can shorten the gap, and you know, these are all questions
1: that uh, that we'll discuss and and um, explore during the show. Is can we shorten the gap? Uh, is it cheating? Why shouldn't we just allow guys to do it? I mean, I certainly have questions that I want answered during this show because there's. I may feel. See, a I little, know
2: you feel. I
1: feel just a little let, different. Let, let the world let it go. Hey man, do I, what do you want? Hey, look, it's an arms race. Okay. Uh, According to our latest president, who said about nuclear arms, let it be an arms race, you know. And I kind of feel like I want – I I have a saying. I want my rock stars high, and I want my home run hitters on steroids. So, I mean,
2: that's – but listen, listen. But there's the other side of the equation where people say, no, I want my athletes clean. Pure. The TV want this to be that way. And – that, yeah, that, so well, let's see. Yeah, which you feel one, that two way. Two horses until, pulling in opposite
1: directions. And here's the way I feel. You feel that way until you go back to watching baseball like it was in like 1960, whatever, and like you know, guys hit home runs like every other day. Okay, we, we don't you know. Well, people no, the say they is, want it, but you want the excitement, and that excitement comes at a cost. And for me, that we've cost seen is, is such doping. Such an
2: enhancement in training methods. True. Understanding. True. The appliance of medical science legitimately okay. to an athlete. So we're able to do specific things to improve performance in, just in the biomechanics without introducing any chemical advantage. So we are going to see a progression. What we're not going to see is off the chart immediate breaking records and results. So it's a case of, are you patient enough to see the evolution of naturally the, oh. of athletes? Hey, listen, that is the
1: great point you're making there. And I'm, I can't say that I'm not in agreement with that. So uh, you know what? Speaking of agreement, disagreement, why don't we get into this show? Now it's time to bring in our first guest, uh, Michael Shermer, a publisher of Skeptic Magazine and Scientific American columnist who wrote a column titled The Doping Dilemma, author of The Moral Arc, How Science Makes us better people and most importantly a prolific cyclist himself Uh, please welcome to the show Michael Shermer Michael how are you hello
2: everybody I'm doing well thank you all right before we get into the controversy surrounding Lance Armstrong let's first listen to a clip where our own Neil DeGrasse Tyson sat down with Lance himself how much
3: would you say your performance was enhanced as a percent of yourself from when you were at your peak response to these right. chemicals well
0: so these and i've talked about this in the past so that generation the problem was in cycling you had you always had some of that and you had and i and i break it up into two categories low octane and high octane and you've always had and maybe still have some low octane so these 1 2 percenters and then came- Low octane enhancements. Yeah, yeah. so whatever. One or two like. percent, if you're world class and you just have to beat the one person, that'll do it. Right, but assuming that everybody opts in for low octane, mm-hmm. right, which they did in the old days. But then what happened is somebody came along, Big Pharma right, came along with something that was high octane, and that was EPO, and that was not one or two percent, that was 10%. And so it was so great- EPO. Uh, urethral poison. so okay. the, the 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 red cell booster which you know again power okay. weight oxygen right and how you get that power is the, the, so this the, what they call the edgar Allan poe the, well the, that was the nickname was we the, gave it back okay, to, yeah, but uh, yeah uh, so uh, you, you had this the sport the not not even cycling but the entire endurance world whether it's running or cycling whatever anything that's a multi-hour event i mean you could you could argue a lot of it they discovered it and it was so beneficial to the ones that, that, that made that, it, it, it spread like wildfire. And then everybody's faced with this, uh, this quandary, like, oh, my God, like, what? One or 2%, you, know, you can almost manage that. You could say, you know what, uh, I'm not going to do that, and I, and, and I can still compete 10%. Then you're faced with the decision, do I opt in or do I go home? This is a lot
1: to unpack there, Michael. And before we uh, before we let you uh, respond to that, first of all, let's give a little bit of cred to why you are um, Mm. deemed um, uh, able to speak about this. Uh, You were um, starting in 1979 a, um, uh, a cyclist. You made the jump to cycling and you became
4: a professional rider, right? Yeah, in the 1980s, I competed in uh, long-distance cycling, so I was one of the co-founders of the 3,000-mile non-stop transcontinental bicycle race called Race Across America, or RAM for short. And I did that five times, rode across the country five times, and I was race director for 15 years. So I, you know, I went across America 20 times total by biker car. So I know the sport inside and out. In the early, in the uh, middle 80s, I knew all the Olympic cyclists, and this is back when blood doping, where you pack in your own blood. Blood that mm. you took out earlier,
3: right?
4: Uh, it was legal. It wasn't even banned and everybody was doing it. Uh, I, I didn't do it for various reasons, but I knew a lot of people that did. And it was right when doping was becoming much more effective as a tool for performance enhancement. And therefore, the rules then began to be designed by the governing bodies of what should be allowed and not allowed. And, and that's really when the whole doping thing became an issue. Mm-hmm as Lance noted, you know, the, the doping had been part of the sport for all the way back to the early 20th century, for sure. But it wasn't a thing that anyone really cared about. Uh, I mean, it was just knowing everybody did it. You had to do it. Uh, it wasn't until the 80s and 90s that it became a thing to regulate. Uh, and that's when it became a moral issue. So
1: now let's talk about this um, because I'm not sure if it's because of the controversy that surrounds Lance. I'm not sure if he was equivocating or if this is a Exactly the case the way he broke it down. Can you unpack that for us and give us a sure. sense of what he is talking about?
4: Yeah, what he's talking about there is uh, for endurance athletes, in particular like cyclists, uh, the, the best thing you can have for performance enhancement is delivering oxygen to your muscles. Yep. So when he talked about power, weight, and then oxygen, he, he's talking about uh, once you've trained up to your maximum uh, performance output, say watt, watts per minute that you can push. Okay. Uh, up a hill, um, the only thing you can do uh, to change your performance is to reduce your weight, so you're you're pushing less weight up the hill, yeah, okay. and deliver more oxygen to the muscles, which is what EPO does. So EPO is a um, a genetically uh, modified form of erythropoietin, which is naturally in your body. Yeah, uh, that, that that stimulates the production of red blood cells. So okay. people that have, are anemic. They take this. We think probably around ninety-one, ninety-two or so. Uh, uh, the Amgen produced drug, Erythropoietin or EPO, was introduced into the modern, the professional peloton. So once you get wind that somebody is or may be doing this, and that it may make a big difference, then then it becomes a rational choice mm-hmm. to do it because you have to do it. And when Lance is talking about one percent, well, what he meant was maybe I don't want to do the one percent. Uh, performance enhancements. I could just train a little bit harder. You might get away with that, but something like EPO, the reason it was a game changer was because it was probably between seven and 10% performance difference. And that you can't. So, so,
1: so what you're saying is once you get to a certain, I don't know, let's call it dew point or equilibrium, Hmm. there's no way that you can reproduce those results yourself naturally.
4: That's right, gotcha so doping dope, was part of cycling for decades, yeah. but the drugs they were doing probably didn't make that big a difference. you know I maybe, gotcha. pain, maybe blocking pain or just stimulants so you could keep going mm. but but it didn't it didn't make any difference on on you know what you were actually doing on the bike. It was more off the bike recovery kind of stuff what mm-hmm. you no know dud and then also blood doping I mean blood doping's the same thing. you take your blood out, yeah. Uh, say early in the season, you put it back in when you need it. You're just putting more red blood cells, which is what uh, EPO does. It and distributes- it, but
1: it's but it's your own blood, is what you're talking about, you're right? Always.
4: Yes, yes, it's your own blood, right? But but it's a little risky because it involves mm. needles and and storing blood for long periods of time. Blood, uh, blood, okay. cells start, blood cells automatically start dying the moment you take them out of your body. Okay. So you got to preserve them and 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 keep them you know fresh in a refrigerator somewhere, freezer maybe for a while, and then. <clears throat> And then deliver it back into your body, so you gotta you gotta be uh, agile with needles. And you know, imagine these guys in hotel rooms, the bag of blood on the hook on the wall where they mm. took the picture off. I mean, it's just insane. Yes. And you know, it gets contaminated. So there there are risks.
2: What are the ways will a cyclist try and enhance their performance? Uh, okay, EPO. Uh, it's well, point, it's pointless it getting the weight because that's destroying the old the whole equation. So where else do they go?
4: Well, that. Well, Really, that was the game changer—the EPO—and yeah. and then once there was a test for EPO, so they shifted to just back to blood doping, which is mm. the older technology. What are they doing now? I don't know because the drug takers are always about five years ahead of uh-huh. the drug. T- and all, and it will always be like that. And you know, the, the biggest controversy now are these therapeutic use exemptions, TUEs, in which you get um, uh, exemption from the racing organization that it's okay to take this particular drug because you have asthma or allergy. So the one that came out this year was thanks to the Russian hackers, the fancy bear hackers, in retaliation for the, uh, the hacking and release of their drug use. So it's a little bit of an arms race uh, international. Nationally, it, it turned out that a lot of the top riders were using these cortisone, taking cortisone shots under the pretense that they had allergies or asthma. And, and funny, they all got allergies and asthma just before the Tour de France. Yeah, uh,
1: of course. Uh,
4: Michael,
2: you're oh. such a cynic. <laughs> well. <laughs>
4: you know, so, but if I, I, analyze it from the way I look at it, is from a scientist's perspective, is from a game theory. Like think of this as a rational choice these guys are making. Don't right. think of it as a moral choice, although it is. The question is, why do they do it? Right. So instead of condemning them as sinners, let's just try to analyze the game matrix to make the incentives higher to not dope than to dope, and that's the hard part. Uh, because the moment you think somebody is doing something that might make a difference, even if they're not, mm-hmm. just thinking. Then the pressure is on you to do it also uh, because, as Lance said, you know, that it gets to a point where you, you either do it or you pack up and go home. You can't be a bicyclist. And, you know, so that that's what makes it such a, a dilemma for a lot of these guys. A lot of them are uneducated, poor. They didn't go to college. They started racing when they were young. They don't have life options to, you know, okay, I'm not gonna dope, so I'm gonna go back and be a, you know, work on Wall Street, no, no, it's not like that. Michael,
2: stay with us, we're gonna go to our next clip. Um, Interesting one, this one, because it addresses the fact that, uh, does Lance believe he actually won seven Tour de France's, let's have a listen. If
3: everyone does it, Hmm. this is a very big, I don't know who did it, but that's not the point of my question. If everyone does it, including you, Hmm. and you still win, aren't you still better than everybody else? well because i could take it and i'm not going to win
0: the tour de france right so so the person still matters right. the person still matters the, the there's a bunch of arguments here okay there's 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 first of all i'm the wrong person to it would be like me asking you hey neil uh, how was your lecture last week was it good and you would say well i think it went pretty good but you should probably ask the yeah, 2000 yeah, yeah. The, the students or the people that were there ask them so uh, we can't answer that right i mean i have okay. uh, i mean i would say look ask my ask my peers ask my rivals you could argue that certain substances are more beneficial to certain people okay. and less yeah. beneficial to others so that starts to cloud the picture but then you don't, you just don't know what all every i mean it was the it was the wild wild west back then you didn't have testing you didn't have these guys were it was it was crazy And so uh, it it just all gets murky. Where I go to on that is, uh, I mean, if you ask me, do you think you won the Tour de France seven times? I say yes. Mm -hmm. And and I say that because I think I, I believe in my heart and soul that my rivals and my peers would support that. Okay, wow, simple, that's a, Michael.
1: That's a bit. Michael, I what do agree you agree with Lance <laughs> that he won seven Tour de Frances? And and seriously, and, and it's not it's not even a glib question because you're a cyclist, man, and you you're really into this. You know exactly what it takes to do this kind of endurance sport. And so speaking from uh, you know the truest sense of a cycling uh, an athlete cyclist, is is he right? Did he win seven Tour de France?
4: Yeah, I, I think I think he's right. If you asked, say, his key rival. Uh, throughout those years, Jan Ulrich, the great German cyclist, um, who did win the Tour, won the Olympic gold medal, uh, was busted for doping. Um, uh, you know, if you asked him, I'm say, I'm sure he would say, "Yeah, Lance really did beat me fair and square," mm-hmm. because he he was doping too. Uh, and, and in fact, if you look at the podium finishers, the the second and third place finishers of every one of Lance's seven Tours, they all were busted for doping. So we know for sure. I can't say all hundred percent of every tour rider doped. I can't say that. We don't know that for sure. But absolutely virtually all of them or almost all of them or nearly whatever adjective you want to use. Certainly all the top ones. So wow. Okay. Does, does that mean <laughs> the level doesn't mean that level the playing field is perfectly level because the the doping is not a perfect art. It's a science that uh, has some flexibility. So maybe You know, one of the things that Lance did that was different from the previous doper doping programs was he hired the best doctor, this McKelly Ferrari, the Mm -hmm. best doping doctor there was to work exclusively for the postal team and not for other athletes. So the other athletes had to go to other doctors. Now, Tyler Hamilton or Tyler Hamilton talks about this in his book, The Secret Race. He hired this other guy who wasn't so good. And this is how he trusted. And this guy didn't have the same kind of sophisticated program that this McKelly Ferrari guy did. So it's a, so the problem is we'll never know for sure because you know can't rerun the experiment and where no one dopes and we see if Lance wins anyway. Uh, my guess is he probably would um, because uh, again it, it's a it's a one trial experiment and the other guys he beat were doping and they were probably you know the German team uh, that Jan Ulrich was on was pretty sophisticated so they, their doping program was probably pretty good probably the same as Lance's. So wow, that is. That ex- that's 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 big
1: that's big news man for me i mean seriously you've you've really changed the way i thought think about the entire uh situation i mean i've right with what you just said i
2: have a completely different mindset on the whole situation okay so if everybody on in road racing was doping how do you feel if you're the guy that always came last If if I'm well,
4: well, here's the here's the other aspect of it. Yeah, the, the things we don't know, like the guys that didn't dope. And, and we don't and, and they didn't win. We, we don't know what could have happened. We only know what did happen. And right. so mm. I like I talked to for my that article I wrote for Scientific American. I interviewed quite a few cyclists, including one of Lance's teammates, is Frankie Andreo, who was never going to win the tour. He was there as a domestique. He was there to help yep. his team leader, in this case, Lance. And okay. what he, he told me was he didn't want to dope, but he had to do it just to do his job that he was getting dropped on just on, on, on gradual hills by guys who used to not be able to even stay on his wheel. Everybody was dropping him. So he had to do it just to, you know, just to stay in the just race. To, or just to
2: keep up. Wow. I'm I'm keep, do it just Michael, to up. stay with us. We're going to take a break. And uh, when we come back, we'll dive even deeper into the murky world of performance enhancement with Neil deGrasse Tyson's interview with this, that man himself, Lance Armstrong, and, of course, Michael Shermer. Don't go away. We'll be back with Playing With Science very shortly. Games rated E for everyone. Welcome back. I'm Gary O'Reilly. And I'm Chuck Nice. (laughs) Isn't he just? Yes. And this is Playing With Science. (laughs) And today we are diving deep into the murky terrain of performer enhancements, aka doping. You might call it cheating. Whichever way you look at it, we are shedding the light on it. And with us via video call, we have Michael Shermer, publisher of Skeptic Magazine and columnist for Scientific Americans. And so, a man who has changed my entire
1: perspective yeah. of the Tour de France in every single way.
2: Unbelievable. Cyclists on rocket fuel. So I guess we should take a listen to another clip. Yeah, right, Let's Gary? do that. Um, Neil deGrasse Tyson interviewing Lance Armstrong and they get stuck into the debate regarding public demand for records. Let's take a listen. Can you imagine
3: a future where records level off? And then the public sentiment changes. Mm-hmm. And we say, we want you to en- chemically enhance. So that we can see records broken. Because that's what brings people <sighs> right. to the sport. And I
0: get I get that question a lot. And
3: yeah. is that different from sumo wrestlers? Right. Who so they're not they're not lab chemically changed, yeah. but their diet Terribly changed, right. so assume a wrestler doesn't look like anybody else, right. and they have shorter life expectancies, yeah. it affects their health. Yeah, or a bodybuilder. Or bodybuilders. Yeah. There's a whole other thing going on there, and we pay to see that. Faster, right. higher, stronger. Again,
0: the, uh, I, I get this question a lot, but again, I'll say, I mean, I'm probably the worst person in the world to try to answer this. I have the least credibility of almost anybody when it comes to this. I don't like that idea. I think that it even is remarkably ineffective, and it's a fact, remarkably ineffective that the anti-doping agencies are, you know, for spending 10s and 20s of millions of dollars to catch, you know, less than 1% of the population, you know that's not right. You know that somehow they're missing some. So people see that and say, well, if they're so ineffective, why don't we just legalize it? Mm-hmm. And that's where, that's, where, that's where I sit here as a father. Or as a friend, and I say, well, I don't know. My son plays football, and he's a great football player. And my, my little guy is gonna who knows what he's gonna grow up to do. And I don't want him playing in that sport or playing in that system. So I, um, I, I see it all. If you ask, if if I got to vote, I'd say no. That let, let's not do that. Even if the public kind of wants it, I mean, we want to see records broken.
3: It could. I'm just saying. I'm just right. wondering. I'm imagining a future right. where. An entire Olympics goes by, and not a single world record is set.
0: I think I think your average NFL fan doesn't care what what those mm-hmm. athletes. I mean, look big, fast, strong, right, aggressive. They don't. They want their team to win. Somehow, that average NFL fan that thinks that way about the Dallas Cowboys or the Pittsburgh Steelers, when it came to looking at me and the Twitter, it. it, it it changed their view of that. Mm-hmm. But when they go back to watching football, they have the same view they have. Right. So it's just different. Inexplicably. Inexplic- I can't explain it. <laughs> You're the smart one. Maybe you no. can. I'm going to explain it.
1: And uh, with all due respect to Lance Armstrong, go on. Uh, none of my NFL guys, who I know for a fact are juicing, Okay, if you ask them about juicing, they go, hey, man, you know, that's not really something I want to get into. And then that's the end of it. That is all they do. Mm -hmm. You will never find an NFL player talking about juicing. Never. Okay, because they know they're all doing it. It's an unspoken, accepted thing. And they're like, don't get into that. Whereas Lance Armstrong stood America down eye to eye and said, no way. No, dude, are you kidding me? I'm carrying the American flag. I'm over there in France. I'm representing this country. I'm clean baby I'm a good guy I'm Dudley Do-Right I'm Captain America Well F you buddy Because you lied I'm sorry Oh wait a minute I did not mean to get into all that That is not
2: my place here I'm sorry No 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 So it's more offensive for you That he lied to his country Rather than he performance enhanced
1: Absolutely
2: Because uh,
1: what he said is right Uh, And I don't know, Michael, maybe you can tell me about this because you're a guy who who writes about this stuff. So maybe you could tell me about my own um, psychology here. But what he said is right. I am a huge NFL fan. (laughs) I'm a huge NFL fan. And when I see these guys dish out the punishment they dish out on Sunday and then I see them right back at practice on Wednesday. I know the only way they can do that is if they're sticking a needle in their butt or they're using some type of recovery drug i know that in the back of my mind Uh, i don't care because come sunday i want to see the best wide receiver in the league out there catching an 80 yard bomb from my quarterback so you know talk about that man michael
4: are
2: you surprised at lance's stance from that Um, interview yeah
4: actually i am he's 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 been pretty forthright and um I think showing a lot more integrity now. Um, I, I Let me just comment on that. I, I think he has served his time, his punishment. His okay. punishment has been worse than for anybody else. And I think the reason for that is because of his own um, personality, his temperament, the way he handled it, the line. The, mm. Not just the line. Uh, it, it was the destroying of people's lives and careers. Uh-huh. that things he did say to greg lamond who was a super good guy uh and you know to other people he sued reporters and so on the other guys i mentioned like jan ulrich and the other dopers they just they just served their time and kept their mouth shut like your nfl friend you know it's like yeah yeah well first they all lied initially but you know then they then they just shut up and go away and go back to work um, and, you know, Lance didn't do that. I think that, I, but I think he's served his time. I mean, um, we have in America really two kinds of justice systems. There's retributive justice, where we want retribution, we want to punish the sinner for their, their bad deeds. Mm-hmm. Then uh, restorative justice, which is not a big thing in America, it's a bigger thing in Europe now. Right. Where you want to restore. The damage that was done. Now, so what, what brought Lance down was not the doping. They were doping before. They're still doping. They doped during Lance's time. You know, it's, it's mm. that's not it. What What is is um, it was the way it was handled, the mm-hmm. line, and destroying people's lives. So restitution, How you know, how we can restore that just, well, you know, he needs to make amends with the people he hurt, really, right. and also help the sport clean up if that's what, you know, if he believes that and the sport still wants to do that, as opposed to legalizing it all, which I don't, I don't think will ever happen. Uh, that's really what he needs to do. That's hard to do. It's hard to call people up and go, you know what? I was, you know, I'm sorry, I did what I did. It's hard for any of us to do that. Okay. You know, but he's making, you know, he has this forward podcast. He wants to get back into public life. You know, the guy could be governor of Texas. I mean, he, there's so much he could do, but he's got to restore the damage done, and the retribution I think has been done. You know, leave, you know, leave. There's people who want to punish him more. Forget it. Come on. It's been done. Right. And, there's and people, I, I'm yeah. with
2: you on that. Let's go to our last clip and take a listen to the last one of Neil's little questions with Lance himself. It
3: reminds me of this skit on Saturday Night Live back in the 80s where they were making fun of all of the, you know, the doping. And they said, uh, we're going to have a new event. A weightlifting where all drugs are allowed, all enhancements are allowed. And so they get like one of these Hans and Franz type guys and he goes up and he goes to pick up the weight and the weight is too heavy, but his grip is so strong that he pulls his arms off. (laughs) Oh, he pulled his arms off. His blood splurting out of his shoulders. It was
0: yeah. <laughs> that's that is that's great. On Saturday. that's just never gonna happen. That's just, that, that By the way, too, getting... the 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 pressure the, the, it won't happen because the, the, the govern the the ultimate governing body, right? The International Olympic Committee, you know, all the individual sports uh, committees. The media, the sponsors—they—they don't—they don't want that. So they'll—they—they they will put enough pressure on that, that 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 will never happen. But it makes a good skit. It was a great <laughs> skit. It was a great skit. There's
2: another thing we've learned. Neil's a big fan of Saturday Night Live. There you go. Uh, okay. Is Lance right there? I mean, yes, tremendous, oh, yeah, yeah. tremendous athlete. We know he did some wrong things seven times or more. Um, but with his understanding of the, whole, the holistic picture of sport and in particular cycling, is he right to say, you know what, people aren't going to stand for it. The TV want role models. They want guys to look up to, we want the clean, pure image of sporting heroes and heroines. Is he right TV and the public won't stand for it and we're going to see something like he envisaged in the future?
4: Yeah, no. I, uh, uh, the drugs don't make that much of a difference. So you rip your legs off, and you're like, <laughs> <laughs> "I hope not." <laughs> no, and, 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 and so I should add parenthetically to this that you know these athletes are just phenomenal without any drugs at all. They are mm. freaks of nature. I mean, they are six standard deviations out on the on the genetic bell curve of of performance without any drugs. I right. mean, and 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 even Lance's teammates that have spoken, like Tyler Hamilton in his book, you know, he said Lance is just a kick ass, hardcore. Great athlete, just by nature, without doing anything. He was, yeah. and, and not just genetically, but also training him. Mean, that's a huge part of it. it. Takes an unbelievable amount of discipline to get out there. And cycling's hard, really hard. Um, you know, it's you're, you're out there in the weather. You know, most of the year it's cold and miserable in Europe. I mean, these guys are, they are hard men. They are really tough without the drugs. And so the drugs don't make that much of a difference. It's not that huge. They're still great athletes and they should be admired for that. We're up
1: against a break and uh, we got to wrap things up, but could you just from your perspective as a, as a cyclist, as a a man of science and as someone who is intimately um, acquainted with this subject, could you kind of just put a button on this for us? Uh, Where do you see this going and what do you, Think really needs to be done uh, so that this can be, I won't say remedied, but uh, managed in a far better way?
4: Yeah. Uh, well, probably uh, the drug testers need more sophisticated tests to keep up with the drug takers mm. but more importantly the sport itself I think needs to reconfigure the incentives and make the you know the, the, the consequences of doping such that the cyclists don't want to do it and also the biological passport so to speak you, yes. you have sort of a profile of where you begin of all your measures and we know that training can only bump you up to here and then if all of a sudden within six months you're up here then we know okay so more of that out of out of um, competition testing, those sorts of things, biological passports early on in somebody's career. We know where you stand genetically. Here's what you can do by training. Those kinds of things. More of that is the only thing. Short of just... Just legalizing everything, but I don't think that's a good idea because we don't know the consequences of the drugs. Uh, but I also worry about the evolutionary arms race trickling down into the lower ranks of kids, mm. you know, the junior ranks. Pretty soon, high school kids, junior high school kids, because they think, well, if I'm going to get to, it's like the people that want to go to Harvard and they send their kids to Harvard and they start them in kindergarten at some private schools. Like, oh, come on, right? You know, <laughs> so, so you get that, you know, I got to start right away early, and so I, I would worry about drugs being uh, used by uh, teenagers and kids. absolutely! So. Wow. Hey,
1: man, this is just super, super great stuff, yes. Michael. Thank you. Thank you so yeah. much for being with us, man. This has been a fascinating conversation.
2: Yeah, Michael, thank you so much. Uh, we must get you back on the show sometime soon. So uh, we'll take that break now. And uh, thank you to Michael Shermer, publisher of Skeptic Magazine. Please make sure you go and check that out too. Up next, we we'll 're hear from both Dr. Tom Hildebrand and Dr. Arthur Kaplan. The Kaplan is a professor at NYU of medical ethics and author of the ethics of sport. While Tom Hildebrand is clinical psychologist at Mount Sinai Hospital and we will get both their views on doping in sport. This is Playing With Science.
5: Do not go away. Rack your look for spring at Nordstrom Rack and save up to 60% on brands you love. Rag & Bone, Vince, Marc Jacobs, Adidas, Joes and more. Great brands, great prices every day at Nordstrom Rack. Score new dresses, denim, sandals, designer bags, and sunglasses, plus updates for the family and home. Get your spring on for less, up to 60% less, today at your Nordstrom Rack store. What will you find?
2: Welcome back. I'm Gary O'Reilly. And I am Chuck Nice. And this is Playing Playing With with Science. Science. And today we are exploring the murky world of doping. Yes, we've heard from Michael Shermer, we've heard from Lance Armstrong and Neil deGrasse Tyson. And so far, we've mostly considered the effects doping has on the sport and sports itself. But now let's take a closer look but what the negative effects it has on an athlete's body, athlete's brain. And to do that, let's bring in Dr. Tom Hildebrandt. Welcome to the show, Tom. Hi, how
6: are you guys? We uh, are
2: good. (laughs) Just so as people know, you're a clinical psychologist at Mount Sinai Hospital in New York City. Yes. With direct studies on the psychiatric, behavioural and physical consequences of using performance enhancing drugs. Imagine I'm on the Lance Armstrong team doing a tour de France, one of the seven that he's won. I could possibly on EPO, uh, I could be blood doping. Uh, Mm -hmm. I'll then be taking steroids most likely for recovery because I've got 21 days out of 23 that I am gonna be hitting the road. Then I'll be taking masking agents. So as I pass that sample test, I'm a pharmacy on wheels really going uphill and downhill. What on earth is happening to me in a molecular sense? And then what is going off in my head?
6: Mm. Good. Well, I think what you do is you you strip your your, certainly your brain's natural ability to adapt uh, to those situations. By manipulating it pharmacologically, you sort of you take the, the, the normal ups and downs and, and swings and adaptability out of it. You you provide this sort of constant, either high dose or during withdrawal, uh, uh, low dose, right? So it takes time for your system to catch back up and, and re-regulate itself. So either too high or too low, you end up in situations where you act outside of your normal behavior.
1: Hey, can you do me a favor? And sure. um, when uh, cause what, what Gary just explained uh, sounds absolutely frightening. I never really thought of it yeah. that way. Um. Uh, so, take us through the each what the body and the brain is going through with each one. So, the we know about the oxygen to the bloodstream the, mm. that that we discussed already with Michael Shermer. So then, you want to talk about adding on top of that uh, the the steroids for recovery. What does
6: that do to you? Synthetic androgens, uh, as they hit the brain, they sort of they occupy the primary receptors that male hormones work on. Uh-huh And depending on your your baseline uh, development, uh, you're either more or less sensitive to those uh, signals. Uh, If you think of what androgens do, they kind of uh, uh, motivate people to act externally in the world. So uh, they can provide energy, confidence. They make you feel uh, really strong and impervious to pain. They also start to change the signaling uh, in the opiate system. Uh, So part of that confidence or invincibility really comes from uh, a true kind of knockout of of pain signals that are coming up uh, through the central nervous system. So what you have is kind of a perfect storm of of competitiveness. You have increased muscle strength uh, and power, and you have a brain that's primed to feel less pain uh, and act more aggressively outwardly uh, on the world. Now, take that away. When you take uh, sort of that unnatural stimulation away, uh, all the uh, the natural ability to sort of maintain those behaviors and that action uh, fall with those uh, reduced levels of, of male hormone.
2: Okay, so Tom, um, all right, so we've decided we're building the perfect beast here uh, yep. in terms of bringing these, these yeah. factors together. If you then say, well, some athletes have different sensitivities to certain things you put in their system in terms of doping, and then how does that affect them going on through their competition and recovery then once they finish the long-term effects to their body to their brain to their personalities if you could sort of open that up for us please
6: so i think thinking about the sensitivity uh, there are probably some genes that are involved in it but maybe even more potently uh, there's a, um, a sensitive window during adolescence where exposure to these substances likely puts you on a different uh, trajectory. Your wow. brain is being organized by uh, uh, hormones during that time, and uh, if you amplify the, the synthetic androgen, androgen effect during that time, you set people on a completely different trajectory, uh, and they become more aggressive, uh, more likely to want to seek pleasure and act externally in the world uh, in that way. Um, In terms of the long-term effects, we're really looking um, to see just the beginning of the data that are coming out about this. Uh, And probably the most dangerous part of it uh, are those withdrawal periods. If you have periods of time uh, where you've uh, cycled on the drug and then cycled off, uh, and you've gone into a low testosterone state, Mm -hmm. you essentially age the brain more quickly. Wow. Uh, so you sort of, uh, uh, the, the data look more and more like, uh, kind of, a um, a dementia like syndrome that happens in the brain, oh. uh, that comes from likely low pe- periods of low testosterone or, or low hormone levels in the brain. That's um, serious. Yeah.
2: It is that serious from your research, you've been able to discover that it could
1: yes. with, with that in mind. And I'm, I'm only asking as a devil's advocate here, um, and by that I mean, <laughs> I'm the devil.
3: <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. um, <laughs> uh, I believe that perhaps, and I've, I've gone on record with this, and uh, uh, there are a lot of arguments against it that I accept willingly, but why isn't there a push to find a way to make these agents um, safe, healthy? and be able to be utilized in a healthy way. I am not talking about in children. The developing brain is a minefield of um uncertainty. You just can never know. I'm talking about for a professional athlete, um why can't we find a way to make this safe and regulate it and say, here are the acceptable parameters in which uh, you're able to use these agents?
6: Well, I think there are two reasons why that hasn't happened. Okay. One uh, is because it's associated with cheating. Okay. Right. Uh, so that that initially will eliminate any of the, the kind of scientific investigation into that very question. Gotcha. Uh, because if you, if you try to answer, can this be safe, but uh, safe for people who use it already to cheat, uh to begin with uh, no one's going to fund that no one's going to support that kind of research even if it's a good idea
1: okay well you know what that's a, uh, you, you i don't as succinctly as you have put that that is the best answer that could be given hey listen you know we got to wrap it up do me a favor just before we let you go uh give me give me just the give me give me the one punctuated statement to keep me from sticking this needle in my butt when this show is over cuz i got to tell you. Do not want to break a record? As as far as I can tell, I'm ready to break some records. (laughs) Doctor,
2: let's stop him.
6: Ask yourself if it's worth um, uh, having early dementia uh, in your 50s uh, and cardiac problems so that all of that that muscle that you're carrying around, you have a weak heart uh, and a failing brain uh, to carry it with you.
1: All right, you know what? You've done your job because I already have a weak heart and a failing brain, so I certainly don't need to make that. Let's let's not put it on the express train. Exactly, we don't nope. have to exacerbate that situation. Hey, Tom, thanks so much, man. Great, great to have you on the show. Pleasure, thank you. Anytime. I have to tell you that uh, I started off, and we all know my position has been, I don't care.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: I,
1: I just want to see home runs hit. I want to see yeah, the yeah, fastest yeah. football player on the field. I gotta admit, slowly,
2: I'm I'm kind of changing my mind about this. I don't know. From one doctor to another. Say goodbye to Dr. Tom Hildebrand and thank you very much. And say hello to Dr. Arthur Kaplan, professor of bioethics at NYU, director of medical ethics division, author of The Ethics of Sport, and a man who I think, Chuck, is going to open your eyes even wider. Okay, let's see. Hey, Dr. Kaplan, how are you? Welcome to the show.
1: Thank you for having me. Oh, ah, you're welcome. Thank you, Dr. Kaplan, for joining us. Um, before we get into anything here's here's what i need to know from an ethical standpoint why is doping wrong okay and and listen the reason why i'm asking this to be honest is because i don't care i don't (laughs) care if my athlete is doped up okay i don't i want my rock stars high on drugs and i want my home run hitters juiced up on (laughs) steroids i don't care i do
7: doping and steroids and a lot of other performance enhancement things are dangerous for athletes. And you might say, hey, they take their they make their choices, they take the risk, but kids do what athletes do. Young uh, st- okay. sports people do what athletes do. It doesn't take too long for all that stuff to hit the high school weight room or even the elementary school training program. So if, we, if the stars Scary. do it, people they admire do it they'll do it and the earlier you do it the worse the side effects second it's just not fair so if you like sports and you like all your home run hitters doped up and half of them aren't they can't compete you know against the rest so either everybody's got to do it and you're sort of coercing the people who don't want to do it into saying I got to do it because how am I going to compete against people who are on drugs or who have other advantages so one of it is danger not just to the athlete but to You know, the people they look up, the people that look up to them. The other is basically a kind of coercion that once you take uh, doping in,
2: everybody's got to do it whether they like it or they don't like it. Mm. Is there a simple one-stop shop that will cut all of it out?
7: I don't think so. And in fact, it may get worse for a science reason. That's pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. A lot of the doping now is drugs, maybe moving uh, things like red blood cells, you yep. know, building them up in your body. But the future is genetic engineering. Yes. Jerry. I was on the uh, Olympic committee that met a couple of years ago on gene engineering and athletes just trying to look forward. The problem is, if I start to tweak my genes, there are various ways to do it, doesn't matter how, but I can. They'll make more chemicals, they'll make more substances, and it's all my stuff. That's so it's right. Hard it's to
1: detect. That's undetectable at that point because it's yeah. your own body creating what's necessary to improve your performance. With that in mind, this is what I want to know. Isn't that just called? a fair advantage. Why not allow everyone Mm. to do something like that?
7: There are some improvements. There's another issue here, which I want to compare the athletes of today to the athletes of yesterday, right? There's some of this notion of, Mm. is Babe Ruth better than Barry Bonds? But Barry Bonds, gee, he was steroidal. He had a head the size of a pumpkin. Is that fair? On the other hand, we kind of know that Babe Ruth I think, did pretty well at the bar. Um, uh, So, you know, everybody has their their issues. But the idea being baseball cares about its history, its comparative statistics. Okay. You said at the beginning, I don't care what they're taking. If they jump as high as possible, I'm loving it. Well, some people like wrestling, pro wrestling. It becomes an exhibition at some point if the competition is about who's got the best pharmacist. Mm. But what we really have to think hard about is – so we want to do things that encourage dangerous behavior. That should be one standard, particularly in kids yep. who emulate what the adults okay. do. Mm-hmm. We want to do things that make the sports so distorted, people pole vaulting 50 feet, that, you know, <laughs> it's just <laughs> an exhibition now. It's, it's like yeah. some crazy steroidal weightlifting contest. Yeah, right. you can do it, but it's not a sport anymore. Mm-hmm. And then – are we going to make sure that everybody has a chance to do it? Even things like sleeping in those uh, oxygen uh, chambers, the, the, the tents yeah. that athletes use, Yeah. you know, uh, Brazil uses them, Argentina uses them. They play these poor countries. They can't afford that, that technology. Right. So they do better. I don't like that in my sports. I like it at least when the, uh, what we try for is a level playing field mm. performance enhancement undercuts that last point quick. You know, some of those bikes had tiny motors buried in them, right? It wasn't yes, just- some of
2: them. Some of them have been found to, uh, to carry motors in them. Yes, so that's exactly. that's technical. That's technical doping. It's bike doping Correct. rather than the uh, cyclist. So I
7: don't like that. Again, it's like you got a real advantage here. You're cheating. You're not transparent about it. Hmm. So another aspect of this drug issue or whatever the technology is is you got to be open about it. If you're hiding it. That's trouble.
1: And now, listen, I'm with you on that. And uh, listen, that last example is clearly, I mean, that's the kind of assistance that you can't have. That is clearly cheating. That'd be like finding out that, uh, you know, uh, Michael Phelps had a, a propeller for a penis. I mean, it just, exactly. it, it's not cool. Okay. We just know Thanks that's. That image. That. <laughs> we, we just know that that's not cool. Uh,
2: you well, know, people com-
7: did say you had big hands, and we know what Don't that.
2: encourage him, doctor. Please. <laughs> (laughs) Um, and I'm with you about the genetic doping that is the scary thing it's uh, I mean I've got I'm for it uh, I am so for genetic doping
1: (laughs) I I am so I here's the way I feel there's already (laughs) genetic doping It happened in your lineage. Two people got together somewhere Mm -hmm. in the past and they passed down those genes to you. Mm -hmm. Those genes came together in a certain combination that made you a phenom. That is genetic doping through natural selection as far as I'm concerned. I'll tell
7: you why you won't like this. One of the dirty secrets of science when it starts to look at sports is you're right. We're not rooting for effort. We're not rooting for training we're rooting for subtle genetic differences. It's great that, you know, sprinter A goes faster than B, but it's probably mainly because of some biological difference in their muscle uh, makeup. I kind of like to think they're trying harder. They trained harder. You know, sports is all about virtues. We like to see the ethics on display there. But if you're right, and I think you are, genetics plays a key role in who can do what, and it may undercut our admiration for athletes if we start to think hey
2: we're just rooting for the biologically lucky. But see the thing is this becomes a geographical disposition. So you can find gene variants in certain parts of West Africa and the Caribbean mm-hmm. that are extra fast twitch and are naturally occurring. Yeah, yeah. The thing yep. that would the thing that would just really kind of destroy me would be if all of a sudden I turned up Stuck a syringe in a guy and gave him that gene variant and off he goes at three thousand miles an hour that 's really going to be a problem now there is one proposed solution that from that everybody gets a genome passport a biological passport mm-hmm, with all mm-hmm. of their coding on it mm-hmm. and then if all of a sudden i come along and stick that syringe in somebody's thigh oh, yeah you'll you'll see you'll that, see the mutation that change in their passport occurs are we close to that or is that just me it's a fantasy? great
7: idea it's probably the way to monitor genetic engineering in the future but we're not there yet there mm-hmm. are so many small changes we don't understand that we can't really build that passport I'm maybe with you. Twenty years, yeah, not today.
1: Mm. Well, I have to say that the one thing that I agree with you on, and that you have made a very cogent case for, is uh, the future of any sport in young people. And so that creates uh, definitely a, um, a a rift within my reasoning uh, because I have no answer for that whatsoever. So on, on that level and that level alone, I'm with you guys. Right. But everything else, screw that. Yeah.
2: Everything else, I'm like, screw that. Man. So, <laughs> oh, back to the rock star. Doctor, <laughs> Dr. Arthur Kaplan, thank you so much for your time. It's been a pleasure. Uh, Dr. Arthur Kaplan, Director of Medical Ethics at NYU and author of The Ethics of Sport. Make sure you check that book out. So, well, that's our show. Um, yeah, thanks to our guests uh, and
1: we mustn't forget. Of course, none other than Lance Armstrong himself and the man, the myth, and not the legend. Mm. Oh, no, the man, the legend, and not the myth, Neil deGrasse Tyson.
2: So Chuck's mind's been changed. I wonder if yours has yeah. regards doping. I'm Gary O'Reilly. I'm Chuck Nice. And this has been Playing With Science. You know what we're going to say next. See you all soon.
5: Justin, and so good. Thousands of spring deals at your Nordstrom Rack Store.